because I'm a teacher and I, one real strong belief that we have is that imagination is spurred from open-ended play. The Mm -hmm. goal is that the kids are independently doing all the things that we want them to do in our playrooms by themselves, with their friends, with their siblings, without you. And to be honest, the more experience and time they have in the playroom, the better they will get at that. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Carrie Bowen Poole, founder of Smart Playrooms. So have you ever seen that TikTok with a woman sitting and sipping wine in her gorgeous living room saying, I'll never be one of those parents who have their ugly kids toys all over the house. Then it flashes to that same living room full of toys with the mom still sitting in the same spot sipping her wine. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Somehow our space seems to be slowly eaten up by all of this stuff. Cars, stuffed animals, Legos, pipe cleaners, instruments, Paw Patrol people, trains, train tracks, and on and on and on and on. Talking to Carrie was a game changer for how I think about our play spaces. And she gives amazing practical tips like how to organize those unruly activity kits and how to create long-lasting spaces that will still work as your kids get older. I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. And if you need me, I'll be busy reorganizing our entire house. Carrie carved out a niche using her expertise as an educator and a parent to customize playroom designs to meet families' needs. She put an ad in a local paper and started receiving phone calls from parents desperate to get their kids off technology and engaged in other forms of play. Smart Playrooms aims to design playrooms that will engage children in open-ended creative thinking to promote independence, creativity, problem solving, and cooperation. Thank you so much, Carrie. I'm really excited to be speaking with you today and have you on Work Like a Mother. I'm so excited to be here, Bridget. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I cannot wait to hear all about smart playrooms with two kids under the age of four. Um, It is very resonant with me. But first, can you give us a two sort of minute summary of your career journey to founding smart playrooms? Sure, I would love to do that. So I always knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was a young girl, just was always interested in kids. So I went to college and then shortly after college, I went and got my master's in early childhood education and then did teach for probably 12 years. Absolutely loved it. And then like yourself, I had younger children at home and was trying to think of something that I could do with all this experience and expertise and education that I garnered and also what I love to do, but to take it outside of the classroom, maybe to have something more flexible. So I'm not with my kids all day and with a classroom full of kids all day. I did do that for a little bit, but then I just thought, gosh, I wish I could think of something 
else. I sort of needed a shift or a change. And I literally had one of those. I've been thinking about it for probably a year, kind of, hmm, should I do this? Should I do this? And and then I had one of those middle of the night wake up. like, boom. And it was called Playroom Plus. And my idea was, oh, I'll take everything I know about setting up a classroom, what's age appropriate, organization, layout, everything, and bring it into people's homes. And so that's really where the idea started. And I was actually teaching preschool that year. I was more of a fifth and sixth grade teacher for many years, but I was teaching preschool that year. And I thought, you know, I'll wait till the school year's over. I'm actually going to quit my job and give it a try. And I started off by organizing people's homes with the idea, again, how things are set up, how they're accessible, how what the toys, where they are, how that influences how kids play, because that really is the premise of all preschool classrooms, but it's really the premise of all classrooms, no matter what you are teaching is the importance of the space, what's in the space, and really kind of how you handle the material. So I took that into people's homes. I focus on organization and slowly it became, oh, they need a table. Oh, they need some storage. And the design sort of organically grew from the organization and the projects kept getting bigger and bigger. And I realized I was starting something that never existed before. And my expertise as a teacher and also as a mom was so valuable to families that there just wasn't anyone else looking at the space, especially the playroom as I was looking at it. And so that's really how it started. I've been doing smart playrooms for probably about 10 years now. So that's, generally my journey. (laughs) So how did you get your first clients? I put an ad just in my local paper and I think I received nine phone calls, which is, (laughs) well, before I even got started, it probably cost me $50. I got some educational labeled photo that's something I hadn't even done yet. Um, It was more of like a classroom and just stuck it in there. And after those nine phone calls, I really was up and running after that. I think I got at least three of the jobs right away. And I started just in my local community. So some of the families knew me, some of the families had heard of me. And I think for a service industry like this, the trust factor is so big, you have Mm -hmm. you know, to go into people's homes, and also into their kids spaces. Um, I think to start super local um, was really important for me. And in fact, I didn't even have a website, I don't think for three years, it was all word of mouth. And that's really how I ran it. I actually have not put a penny into the business. It's always been when I get the job, I invest back in the business, but I have never put up a big amount (laughs) to put into the business. And I think when you do that as well, it keeps you really... um, sort of honest, you want to do the best job that you can, you understand the power of word of mouth referrals, and you're also in the local community. So you really want to do the best job that you can. How have you expanded to reach people in other in other places in other states? I had someone that wanted who was a teacher who wanted to join and I said, well, sure. I don't know if anyone is going to hire me who has not heard of me (laughs) through a friend, but if you want to join, we probably should start to market then. And maybe Mm -hmm. we should do a website. And I had her do the whole website kind of taking 
all the work I had done, but I thought also it's kind of teaching her how I think about things and everything that I've written down to put on the website. So I'm sort of training her. And then I thought, well, let's see if someone will hire me who hasn't heard of me (laughs) before, who hasn't used me. And sure enough, it worked really, really well. And I, I knew I was sort of onto something and it was very exciting then to have someone join and start to market to people who um, had never heard of me, who were not in my hometown. And it really sort of opened up this whole other flood of inquiries and interest. Do you have specific vendors that you recommend for organization supplies? I give links for Ikea. You know, I love Ikea. I love container store. Everyone has different budget. They'll say, you know, this is what I'm thinking about, but I love this. This is my aesthetic. And there's many times when Ikea storage is perfect because I know Mm -hmm. the kids in five years aren't going to need that anymore. And a lot of times I, I don't do the custom built in unless the family says, I want that right there because I, it's just part of what I want. Um, so I really try to customize it and I really try to think long-term. I think being a parent is so good because I've seen what my three kids have used, how they've used the materials, what was worth it, what wasn't. And I get feedback from families all the time as well. What would your advice be to parents who are trying to do that, who are trying to think of how do I set up this space to last through different stages, not just the, you know, 15 months to, to two and a half years or something. Yeah, I think it's it's good. I would say at least think five years. So I think it's okay to get the table that might be good in a year. The bigger the table, the better. I love big spaces for art and puzzles and games when kids have lots of room. So I look at the space mainly exactly like that. What What is going to be here for the next five or 10 years? And, and what would that be? What is not going to be here? And my decisions are kind of based on that. I I do think in terms of zones and activities. So one of the first things I'll do after a detailed consultation is think, okay, these are the activities that I'm going to design in this space. And everything comes from those activities. So it could be there's a music performance area. Within each zone, there's very varied budgets that you can do. And then other areas like pretend play. And I would never build a playhouse for a child really who's over five. I just think you miss the mark and it's okay. Instead, we might paint a house shape on the wall. Mm -hmm. We could still have a pretend play market house feel or something like that, but we wouldn't build this elaborate playhouse for someone who's already, I think, going to age out of it. When families have children of different ages, what do you recommend for a play space? I always gear my designs too towards the oldest child. I never mm-hmm. do it towards the youngest. And that really is helpful because where is that child going to be in the next five years? I know what the tween set likes. They like to be also be a little bit hipper, cooler. They don't want it to be babyish. So we generally look at like paint colors and just leaving it super simple, using the walls as part of the activities too. Like sometimes we'll do a Lego wall or a huge dry erase magnetic wall, or we'll do a rock wall in an area. So I like to use the walls, not for um, decor per se for Hmm. everything, but instead to extend the activities and, and, why would I want that activity to be there for 10 years? Because it's going to make kids remember 
to do those things, you know, or that it's always going to be there that we want them to. So a Lego board, sometimes they'll do a whole Lego wall. Sometimes they'll do a whole pegboard and you could put art supplies. I look at it too, like, what are the staples? What are the zones? And then knowing that the materials are going to change over the years, your art station for a three-year-old is going to be very different than what you may have for an eight-year-old. And I say, I kind of give you the bones of it. Your kids' interests are going to change. You're going to donate that stuff or use that stuff up, and then you're going to get other things. And that's what really keeps them coming back. What kind of play do you hope to foster in your playroom designs? Because I'm a teacher and I, one real strong belief that we have is that imagination is spurred from open-ended play. Mm -hmm. And it also means open-ended decor. So what does that mean? It means that the kids can use it, the zone, and think about the decor, and it will change over time with them. And it's not one prescribed thing. So let's say they're super into Paw Patrol. Well, I would never do a little Paw Patrol house because I know that in a year or two, they're not going to be interested in Paw Patrol. But if you just do a nondescript fort or a nondescript house or a nondescript loft that can be used differently, they might bring stuffed animals in now. They might bring Paw Patrol in now. They might later on have it be like a sleepover loft when they're Mm -hmm. 12. So if you think about the shape of it as not being scripted, but instead will change with how we know the kids can play in there. Well, and one of the things you mentioned earlier was how some parents come to you and with a goal really of how do I get them off screens? Mm -hmm. How do you think a playroom design and structure can help with that challenge that so many parents face, especially coming out of COVID where I think so many of us feel like we used our devices to stay sane and survive and, and live through the pandemic. But now like, how do we get them off of them? Such a good question. So the screens actually have been a problem even before COVID. There were a lot of parents who said to me, I don't know what to do. I can't believe this, but uh, uh, this is happening and my four-year-old won't get off. And sometimes it's the younger sibling or it can be the first child and, you know, setting up rules and, And those regulations is so tough for all of us parents because we didn't grow up with these things. And so I find myself creating routines and rules about screens when I didn't, no one modeled that to us, nor did Mm -hmm. I even live through that. So that, it just know it's very, very challenging. And there's not one right or wrong way to do that. You have to just come up with rules and boundaries as you see fit. But what I say to parents is, you know, set up something that's going to compete with that. And as parents, once we set up the space that is going to guarantee that they're going to be off their screens, then you have to encourage the kids or be over in that area. You can't be on your phone all day and then tell them not to be on the phone. So I think it's partly too, we have to role model it ourselves. Sometimes when we start new routines with kids, we have to be there with them, especially if they're really young. You know, if you set up this cool art or puzzle area, whatever it is, then you need to get over there with them, show them how to use the materials, what your expectations are. We do that in the classroom all the time. And the idea is that you can slowly step away because Mm -hmm. the goal is that the kids are independently doing all the things that we want them to do in our playrooms, 
by themselves with their friends, with their siblings, without you. And to be honest, the more experience and time they have in the playroom, the better they will get at that. For my own kids, because it was always a priority for me. And I feel like I love it because my youngest now, who's 12, um, families will say that, you know, they all have their phones at this age where we live and my daughter does too. But when the friends come over, parents can't get a hold of their kids because <laughs> none of them are on, are on their, their phone. phone. And so I think it's good to say to yourself when we prioritize things and keep it, I created cool spaces and I changed it up and I really want my daughter and her friends to come over here and I want them to do things and not be like this and not talking to each other. And I can't say it's always going to work, but so far it has. And it's good to know the effort does pay off, you know, of getting them off. How have your designs evolved over time? Uh, We started, you know, if you look on our website, there's a lot of amazing kid gyms is what I, I call them. And, but the reason was because a couple of years ago before COVID, I noticed even with my three children, Mm -hmm. it was, they were seated so much longer in the classroom. My kids go to public school here and so many more worksheets were for my third. They took out a lot of even the pretend play and other areas Mm. in kindergarten. I was surprised at the difference between my oldest and my youngest. And there were new ideas about, you know, best math and best reading for kids. But I knew for my third, they were sitting so much longer during the day. They Mm. were expected to do so much more rote memorization. They were cutting recess back in order to make more time for these learning. And so for me, from what I believe is that kids need this time to be outside. They need time to run around that that really affects their brains. And it also does honestly helps them to focus later. We have Mm -hmm. to give our kids sensory rich experiences. And part of that is just outdoor play that's not scheduled, you know, Mm -hmm. where they are just, like you said, just going out to kind of doing what they want. So that being said, and kids weren't going, and they're also overscheduled, you know, a lot of parents would say, well, yeah, from three o'clock on, nope, there's no time to do that. We're going here, here, here. Mm -hmm. So we've been in this last probably five or 10 years. And I've noticed it in my own community of, you know, kids don't have unscheduled time. They don't have time to just, you know, work out and that type of stuff. So I started to put monkey bars and I love monkey bars because they're so challenging for kids. And to me, they're like the number one thing because kids love to be challenged. And if I'm going to do some sort of kid gym area in the basement, again, to make the longevity of it last, but also to make sure it's interesting for the kids is our monkey bar. So we started to do incorporate physical play in our play spaces. And it can be simple things. It could be balance boards. It could be jump ropes. It can be tunnels, depending on the ages of the kid, or it could be much more elaborate where we do these you know, kid gyms now with full construction with rock walls and ropes. But the idea is that to give them an option that is indoors, but it is physical, knowing the benefits of all the physical play for the kids and that they are getting less and less of that. Well, so I shared on my Instagram that I was going to be talking with you and ask people for some questions. I got a lot of really great ones, but the the theme that kept coming up was about organization. How do I tame the chaos of 
just so many different things, whether it's art supplies or books to blocks to the Paw Patrol people, all the little people. How how do you work with families to help figure figure that part out? It's a great question. And I think for sure my teacher background helps me with that because I think it's knowing what's age appropriate. And like I said before, also what's open-ended, mm. but I'll come back to that in a second. I think for me, when I go in, when I was doing just the organization to start, I would take everything out. So if anyone is up for a huge organization project, and I do recommend doing this because it really is good. If you're going to do it, do it hundred percent. And that means really thinking through everything and seeing what you have, what's broken, what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So it's taking everything out literally into the middle of the floor and then starting to sort things. And when I do it, I sort by the type of play it is. So I'll put like all pretend play together. Then I'll put all the building toys together. They might be super into babies. I might put all the babies together. That might be music area. So start to sort the toys like that um, and then start to look at each pile. Like, are are they still using this? Are they not using this? Is it broken? And then try to make piles for donation. If it's just broken, obviously getting rid of it. Or if it's not age appropriate, then putting it away until it is. And again, I really try to say to everyone, gear it towards your oldest because when the oldest all of a sudden it doesn't feel like it's right for them, they don't come back. You know, mm-hmm. you want to keep them in there. You want them to be with their siblings and you want them when their friends can come over and we know all the benefits of play. Anyway, you want them to continue to use their imagination, build, take different risks, learn science stuff, whatever it is that you want them to do. So that's the key with organization, but I'm a big less is more person. I think what's happened also is that the toy manufacturers over the last like 50 years have understood that if they give specific educational benefits on every single toy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that the consumer is going to purchase a lot more toys than they would because they're looking to sort of satisfy their kids. So, oh, this teaches the STEM. Great. I think I'll take that. Oh my gosh, they're going to learn to communicate better. I think I'll take that. And this, and So we're in this kind of toy feeding frenzy. And I think it's good sometimes to take a step back to think about what it is, you know, what's your budget for toys? Do you even need that? Is that something that your child really does need? Or is that just kind of a promise from a manufacturer? And I always say, go back to the more simple, the more basic, the better. One of the other things that's happened is not only does every toy promise some amazing benefit is that everything is sold now in kits. So mm-hmm. even if you get Paw Patrol, let's say, um, or even if you get art kits or even Lego kits, a lot of things come with 15 very small pieces and that's impossible to organize. First of all, kids don't play like that. They don't play with keeping the kit all together. So the one okay. of the first thing I say is break up the kits. If you're going to go with the kids, that's fine. I'm not a huge kit fan. But if you're going to go with the kids and you have all these pieces, and sometimes they're just sold with the toys, break them up. So you still will have all your animals together. Mm-hmm. You still will have all the accessories together. And you might have like all the people together. Um, And don't try to organize it by the type or you'll be overwhelmed. I'm not really a fan of like very specific kits. Art kits, there's so much wasted with art kits. They don't use half of the things that are there. They, they, it requires the parent to sit with them to go through all the directions. And those are skills our kids do need to know. But when they're home, 
those are skills that they really need in school and they'll follow the directions and stuff. When they're home, it is so much better to let them do whatever they want with art. Let them make the rules. Don't have a final product in mind. And I find that kids are so much more creative with just access to any materials at all times and that you change it up periodically. Mm. So again, even for like an art studio for young kids, I wouldn't put out that many choices. You always have paper. You always have like a caddy with some of their favorite things, but you don't need a ton, a ton of other things. You want your kids to be independent. You don't want parents to be there because that's really where the learning opportunities happen for kids. Um, when they're doing the thinking, if we're doing all the thinking for them, they're not doing that much. And those kids aren't as confident as other kids who are really thinking about how they want to play. And that's the same in pretend play area as well. Let them make up the stories, you know, and be kind of who they want to be. And in order to do that, they don't need a ton of toys and materials. What kind of toys do you recommend that really inspire this open-ended creative play? Try to go back to thinking blocks and magnetiles and can kids create things in different ways. Um, that's what keeps kids coming back to the same toys. I mean, magnetiles is just to me one of the best, most amazing toys because you will see a two-year-old girl playing with it and a 10-year-old boy sometimes, and they'll play with it very differently. Um, but it's a simple toy, but it can changes with how they make it. Hudson, my three and a half year old, he just went through this transition and he, and, and, and now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh, it's so obvious, but I don't, I, I didn't really realize it until he found his older cousin is 12 and had given us a ton of real Legos, the tiny ones. And he found them in the garage and he was, it was like this spark, you know, went off of, can I play with these? What are these? I want to, I want them. I want them, please. Like he was, it, it really uh, was witnessing this like awakening of a new, a new thing to build with and explore and discover. And the same cousin who gave them to him was visiting and it was wild to see he's 12 now. And the two of them were sitting so happily together, both doing their own thing and using the exact same toy, even though they're, you know, eight, so, so far apart. That is, that's amazing. How do you juggle this thriving business, being an entrepreneur, running your own company and having three kids? What, what makes it all come together? It's, it's a great question. You know, it, it's hard. So there's some days where you feel like, oh, I wasn't good at that. I think all of us as working moms, um, it is a juggle with the family and the kids and everything. And, and there's definitely days where you're better at certain things than others. And there's some days when nothing goes right and you forgot this or you missed this. And, um, but there's a lot of other days where I just, I, I'm so grateful. I, I love ha- being a mom and having a family is a top priority for me. And, and knowing that of wanting to be with my kids, be part of their experience, knowing that what I do with them is going to change their interests probably. So that's always been a top priority for me. Um, but working as well is also a top priority and I love what I do. And so when I have these two jobs and positions, um, I, I do find that it is 
you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like work. It's just, this is what I do. Um, I also know that it's interesting being a mom and also working. I think it's been great for my kids because I'm not always there and I'm not always able to do X, Y, Z with them. I, I actually think it's good. It's forced them to sort of figure out things on their own. Sometimes I'm not, you know, spoon feeding them every bit of information. I, I am a believer. They have to figure out their homework on their own. I'm not going to look over that anyway. That's the teacher me. So it's interesting. I think working has also really helped my kids because ultimately I want them to be independent. I want them to fail. I want them to succeed. I want them to kind of figure out what they need to do without me being a helicopter parent all the time. And work has really enabled me to be the parent that I want to be in that regard of not being home all the time. So, um, and I think it's been nice too, to understand, like we are role models for our kids and what do we want them to to be able to see and gain from us. And I think for, if I can model um, a mom who's able to work, who loves what she does, who's there, you know, most of the time, but then she also sometimes isn't there. I I think that's a good way for kids to grow up. I love how you frame that though, because I think that in many ways, and and maybe this is also because my kids are so young that it can feel really hard to be away and to not be present and to feel like you're missing out on, moments like walking or words or these big milestones because there's so many changes that happen so quickly at this young age. And I love that idea of, you know, how that that alone time or, or separation time is actually time for them to grow and learn and to become independent. So I'm going to lock that one away um, and 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 try and think about that often. Thank you for spending some time with me and sharing such a wealth of um, like insights into how we can think about play with children. And really you've given me a lot to think about and and, uh, how I want to restructure things. And I love getting rid of things. So I will be going back through and thinking about what do we truly not need or what, what's not played with and being comfortable with letting that that go. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.